So this is going to be one of those I-don't-have-a-lot-to-talk-about episodes, just letting you know in advance. There's just a huge chunk of the, the middle portion of the episode that I was just kind of like, okay, like, you know, I just didn't have anything to talk about. I do want to talk about a couple other things here. First of all, I kind of wish that Whoopi Goldberg had been allowed to show up. For those of you not aware, she was originally supposed to be in this episode as Guinan, because Marcus, that is to say the guy played by, well... <laughs> I can't remember his name, but he's the guy from Princess Bride, uh, was actually supposed to be her son. Now, funny fact, just really quick aside, you ever notice how occasionally in fiction, this is true in Star Wars as well, this is true in other works of science fiction especially, where it's like, we the audience know such and such, but it's mostly because of interviews or, you know, ancillary works or whatever, you know, like the, the encyclopedia kind of stuff. And yet, they don't actually confirm stuff on screen until much later. I didn't actually realize this, but the first time they flat-out state that Guinan is an Elorian is in Generations, the movie. <laughs> For six years, we've seen her, and it's like, oh, by the way, she's an Elorian. Uh, didn't we know that? Uh, but again, not confirmed on screen until then. Anyways, it was supposed to be here. Shrug. Couldn't get her. I mentioned that as well, because I think that's part of why the middle part of this episode kind of drags a little bit. It feels like they basically stretch certain scenes out to be longer to fill out the space that would have been contained with Guinan. Just my opinion. I don't know if that's absolutely true or not. Wasn't able to confirm. They were also wanting Marcus to be a recurring character, and they kind of set up the stand so that he could come back right at the end. You know, Quark letting him go and having that obvious connection, but they never did. I'm also not 100% sure why they never let him come back. He seems like a reasonable recurring character. The actor himself manages to come across as a smarmy git very well. Maybe it's because of the fact that he doesn't have a lot of charisma to him. That is, of course, just my opinion. But I do think that the actor in question, I really can't remember his name, is more of a slimy git than a slimy git with, you know, some re redeeming qualities. I've talked about this before. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I talked about that in uh, uh, Second Sight, I think? God. The the, the Terraformer Doctor. Uh, uh, Pissapap or Priapap or something like that. God, I don't know. I don't even have those notes. I've actually filled out an entire notebook. I'm up to a new notebook now in my notes, so it's that's over in storage now, so I can't even look it up. Anyways... But this guy, he's just smarm, smarm, oil slick wherever he goes. And I do kind of like that in a limited fashion, hence why I think him recurring wouldn't be a good thing. Because he... Let me put it to you this way. There are three characters who we'll be seeing in the future that... I'm not going to spoil anything, but there will be three recurring characters. And all three of them are, to some extent or another, kind of slimy gits. But all three of them have something that makes them more enjoyable to be on screen. Either a great performance, or a charismatic actor, or some engaging character dynamic, or something that makes it so it's not just, get off my screen. This guy, he's from a race of listeners, and his one big shtick is listening. And there are two significant moments, actually three, in this episode where he actively goes out of his way to state, I'm not listening. I don't care about you. I don't care about your problems. This reminds me a little bit of Suter in a weird way. Uh, Suter's over on Voyager. He is a, uh, not a Bajoran, a uh, Betazoid, the other B word. He's a Betazoid who is effectively... Well, I don't want to say he's sociopathic, because that's not quite true. But he's a Betazoid who seems to lack proper empathy. 
that's kind of the feeling I get from this guy, that Marcus is an Elorian who is only interested in himself. He'll only listen if it benefits him. You know, he's, he's a slimeball. I uh, also want to mention one quick thing. The entire episode revolves around these neutrinos, which they find. That's how they finally decide what's going on. Uh, that's actually not how that works. The science advisor himself has admitted that mistake because, yes, believe it or not, they actually have a science advisor in Star Trek. And so he's like, oh, right, sorry, my bad. I, I didn't do the proper research. Apologies. Just thought I'd point that out. We've got an A plot and a B plot in this episode. And appropriately, neither of them are Thread of the Week plots. I like that. I mean, Thread of the Week can work, but I don't think it should be mandatory. So stretching out into an episode that's mostly just a character piece, I'm with it. I also like how the episode title, Rivals, rather naturally fits both uh, of the plots. We've got Quark and Marcus, and we've got O'Brien and Bashir. But I also love how that shows the contrast between the two. Quark... Quark and Odo would be a more direct par comparison to O'Brien and Bashir. Different dynamic, of course, but same general gist. By contrast, Quark and Marcus... Marcus is a completely selfish... He basically has no redeeming features whatsoever. He is solely interested in himself. Quark, as we've dis demonstrated several times over the last season and a half, does actually have redeeming qualities and traits to him that make him less than a completely horrible person. And Quark usually tends to have a better sense for... I'm trying to think how to phrase this. Actually being charismatic, in character, not just the actor Armin Shimmerman. Because Quark does know how to talk his way around and through people, and the other guy doesn't. A perfect example of this. Uh, the episode... Oh, we just covered this. It's the murder mystery episode. I can't remember the name, but we just covered it. But it's the one that's just a few weeks ago, where I demonstrated how Quark is really good at lying, as long as the stakes aren't too high. Marcus is terrible at lying. He, he tells the lie what's like... Uh, he tells a lie like I do. Oh, I'm Elvis! You know, except that even that's obviously not intended to be serious statement. So he'll be like, no, I am Elvis. I don't know, understand why you would ever question the fact that I am Elvis. You know, it's, it's so blatantly obvious that he's lying. I'm amazed this man has conned anybody ever. And given how long Elorians live, what the hell, right? Is he that young? Is that what's going on here? It's also thus very appropriate that he gets taken in by a con by the end of the episode. By the way, called it, I just want to say. That was actually kind of obvious in, 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 not even in hindsight, but going through it's like, yeah, no, she's pulling one on him. Because he's an amateur. Even the competitive business side showcases how he has no long-term capacity for planning. He does several things on the basis of the fact that I'm lucky. Never mind actually testing things. Never mind actually doing due diligence. No, I'm lucky. It'll be fine. Literally leaning on luck. This is before he found out that the device was giving him literal luck, by the way. So he's just an idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> but more to the point, from a purely financial perspective, if you have something that's the big, next, shiny, flashy thing, you should take all that money and squirrel it away because that, that income is not going to be regular or repeatable. Interests will wane, and then they'll go back to the usual or the long-term investment, which is Quark's. Quark offers more than a shiny little game and a couple of drinks. And you can't tell me that game's going to be popular, that popular at least, go further down the line. But he doesn't do any of that. He squanders his money left and right, loses the sale of the business because he's an idiot, 
I, I mean, okay. <clears throat> I'm sorry, but why in God's name would he seek to uh, so flagrantly cheat on the Bajoran woman with the Dabo girl? Why? Why? That's that's legitimately stupid in every way, especially doing it out in public in the open like that. If you're at least going to be that kind of a slime ball to deliberately... No, okay, I, hang on. Rewind, rewind. I'm not saying being with multiple people is necessarily a bad thing. If both people are on board with the idea of polyamory, fine. As long as you're being open and honest about it. But my point here is that they weren't. This was a legitimate case of cheating, a.k.a. doing something that the other partner has agreed is not a good thing to do for the sake of your own selfish ends. Cheating. With me? Ergo, first of all, why would you want to cheat on her? I mean, she's a wealthy, and, or I shouldn't say wealthy, but she is a financially successful businesswoman who controls your business place and has a legitimate fondness for you. The Dabo girl is a Dabo girl. And I mean no disrespect by that, but my point is, even from a purely financial or, or logical reason, there's nothing there. Okay, let's say he's just got, got that kind of a personality. Why would you do that out in public? Why would you literally, in the middle of your being like, oh, let me just bury my head in your chest out in the open. He, this man is so stupid, I'm amazed he's alive. <laughs> Holy crap. Uh, anyways, moving on. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Um, gosh, do I have anything else to say about that side of the book? I'm not sure I do. Um, I do want to mention that Cork did want the thing because he has a brain. See, there's a reason why if you walk into a, a major casino, everything's bright and shiny and flashy. I, I've talked about this before, and I don't want to go into too many details of it, and I don't know all the details myself, especially not off the top of my head. There are literally hundreds of things that modern casinos do to keep you there, to keep you in a certain frame of mind, and to try and rip as much money out of you as possible. It is actually kind of disgusting to me, the levels of deviousness. It's not even the obvious stuff. Everyone knows the obvious stuff. They do all kinds of things. They, they use unique sound systems, for God's sakes, specifically to try and draw your attention into the right directions. It's messed up, is what I'm trying to say. Now, this isn't quite that bad, but what I'm trying to point out is that Quark sees this shiny little bobble, and what is it but... <sighs> Well, I'll use the modern equivalence of a loot box thing. Hear me out. I'm not saying it's a loot box itself. What it is, though, is it has that same psychological pull slash design like loot boxes do. You ever actually see an animation of or open yourself a loot box in a mobile game uh, sometime within the last year? Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to cast any judgment. There's no need to be ashamed of it. What I'm trying to point out is that the design of loot boxes is very carefully crafted to make it seem like as big and fancy and, and, and oh my God, this wonderful event is happening. Now, what these orbs do isn't quite to that extent, but that was my first thought when I saw the way the thing operated. It makes it really clear, audibly and visually, you've lost. Wah, wah. But if you've won, it, it actually takes its time and builds up, and oh my god, yeah, you've won! So you can see, even ignoring the quantum inner, inner things that these things are doing, you can kind of see how these things would have a psychological effect on people. I mean, people play Dabo, and there's literally no interaction with that, so I mean, I can totally buy this. Just wanted to comment on that really quick. Next thing I wanted to comment on, 
is that there's this bit earlier. I already mentioned how Marcus is a terrible listener and a very selfish person. He literally robs a dead man, actually. But um, the guy, I, I can't remember his name, forgive me, the, the old man who's, oh, this thing has robbed me of my health and all that, right? And he plays the game and then he wins. And then Marcus says, well, what did you win? The man won death. Things finally went his way, and thanks to the way we know how these things go, we know that quantum probability is now in his favor. He is lucky, and he dies. I am astonished the episode just kind of skipped over that, but it does fit all the pieces. I don't think this was unintentional. I just think they didn't want this to be too dark in what is effectively a comedy episode. This man has been through so much hell and crap. We don't even know why he's in jail. He has lost everything, friends, family, wealth, power, health. And now his reward, the thing he can have finally go his way, is that he dies. That's all I really have to say of that plot. The two plots do merge rather nicely. I think that's a good thing that they do. Um, what I really want to talk about is Bashir and O'Brien. Now, I've already mentioned how these two actors do have some really good chemistry together. And while... It could be argued that the two's friendship and connection really has already started. This is the episode where the writers really sat down and said, let's kind of start moving these two together. And I like that because Bashir has already demonstrated how much he has a respect and admiration for O'Brien. And O'Brien has already demonstrated how much he can't stand Bashir. Now that sounds like a weird starting point, but if you know anything about real-life friendships, you know that that's kind of pretty accurate, actually. Real-life friendships aren't between two people who just immediately are like, ha, ah, everything's happy forever. And that's, well, I'll talk more about this later, but all I'm going to say is that I love the Bashir-O'Brien dynamic because it feels extremely real. These two people come across, I, I have said this before and I will say this again, I feel more strongly the friendship between O'Brien and Bashir than I do any other dynamic friendship in the entire franchise. There are a couple that come close. Tom and Harry is up there. Uh, Picard and Guinan, as aforementioned. And Spock and Kirk are probably the other ones that really challenge this one. So this is awesome, and I love seeing it on display. It's also uh, a couple other things I want to say here. Um, so Bashir, you know, I, I, I respect the man. I don't want to hurt him. It's funny because what Bashir is saying could be perceived as arrogant. But it's actually not. In fact, it's basically the opposite of arrogance. Bashir is better at playing racquetball than O'Brien is. The end. And Bashir doesn't want that. He doesn't want to just beat him. He doesn't want to just win. He wants to have a fun match with someone he respects and likes. He It's unstated, but the whole implication is that Bashir went in there and accepted this offer, basically, and was like, yeah, I can't wait to play with O'Brien, because he likes O'Brien, because he wants to have some kind of connection, some kind of thing, some, uh, uh, what's the, uh, not similarity, but uh, a common ground between him and O'Brien, which is funny, because actually I already have several, but I'm not going to get into that here. So, you know, he wanted to have that, yes, I can't wait, oh, okay. <laughs> And then he, he he probably overstates his case, as stated, but again, he's just like, ah, oh, what am I going to do? And then he fakes the match because what else is he going to do? I know this sounds weird, but it's it's easily to, easy to sympathize with Bashir in this situation. What do you do? Do you just keep crushing O'Brien? 
Or do you try to like, okay, as I've shown, if he fakes it, O'Brien's going to pick up on that. He's not stupid. And so now it's like, now what do I do? In fact, he flat out stated, this just isn't fun for me anymore. I'm sorry, I'm afraid you're going to have to find another partner because it was his only way out. Now, originally, they were actually going to keep doing this racquetball or whatever they call it thing in the future episodes. The problem was the set was a nightmare. First of all, setting up the set was a nightmare. It's actually in the Suite set. And second of all, it's supposed to look all alien and sci-fi-y, which is why it's got the Tron look going on. But actually physically uh, filming in there and setting up and the audio acoustics were all terrible. It was just a huge hassle from a production standpoint. Literally hours spent trying to get a few seconds of footage. So, Well, a few seconds, you know, like, like a minute total of footage. So it's obvious why they ended up going with the dartboard instead of that thing. But I point that out because it's clear that O'Brien does want to play with Bashir, and Bashir does want to play with O'Brien. They just have to find some kind of common ground there where they can actually make this work. I also really like how O'Brien comes across as, other than other than when Bashir fakes it, that's the only time he's pissed off at Bashir, otherwise he doesn't come across as pissed off at Bashir. He rants at Bashir, but what O'Brien's upset at is his own poor performance, given the, and he even flat out says, I, I could have done this, I just had to do this, and I do this, I just couldn't get it there. He was upset at himself, and thus we see that O'Brien doesn't actually despise Bashir, and thus we see that they're already starting to, to grow to have some kind of dynamic together, which is awesome. Um, and there's this great scene, it's very brief, where O'Brien's like, hey, and just offers his hand to Bashir. And Bashir, like, there's just this moment of, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, let's do this, let's do this. I like that. Very, very human, very human. And speaking of human, I have one last th- thing to comment on, and then I've got nothing else. Like I said, not much to talk about. There's this bit, there's actually two bits, where O'Brien is shirtless. Now, O'Brien is in better shape than I am. Um, Meanie is in better shape than I am, but uh, he is not what you would call, uh, there's a term for this, and I can't remember, but it's like Hollywood screen friendly, where you're supposed to look, there's like a certain look you're supposed to have, as male or female, to be able to show some skin, right? That's very common. I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. And Meanie is not that. Not an insult, by the way. Just a statement of fact. Now, I like that they showed that. First of all, it helps to humanize him. In fact, it helps us to relate more to him. If Meanie had this super sculpt bod, it'd be like, eh, okay. But instead, he looks like a guy. And I like that. And then Keiko obviously finds him very attractive. And I like that. There's something wonderfully natural about how she clearly finds this relatively ordinary man to be very appealing. And that's awesome. And the two have some great dynamic together, too, uh, in in the couple of scenes that Keiko and O'Brien have. As usual, the two uh, having wonderful chemistry together. Unfortunately, like I said, I don't have much else to say. I did enjoy this episode. Oh, wait! No, I do have one last thing to talk about. So, Joe Minoski was the one who really pushed to adjust the teleplay and, and design this script. He didn't do the original story design, but he's the one who did the teleplay and actually put it put pen to paper, so to speak. 
Now, I mentioned that Joe Manoski, I've talked about him several times, uh, both positively and negatively. He's the guy who doesn't really give a crap about things like continuity, which pisses me off. But he's also the guy who really loves to push the envelope, which I very much love. Anybody remembers, I actually, uh, an episode that comes to mind immediately is the episode Muse over on Voyager, which I barely remembered. And then I went through for the rumination and I was like, wow, that I, I really liked that episode. Holy crap. You know, so... He tends to be a like or hate kind of an author, and I feel like the idea that was being tried to be analyzed here is very much a Minoski thing, which is funny because he didn't, again, he didn't do the original script, but it feels like he put his fingerprints on this because the idea of there being a literal concept of luck, of quantum manipulation, of altering the laws of probability is the kind of thing that normally would make me go, oh, come on. And it's never explained. It's just this little orb. They have no idea how it works. They destroy them by the end of the episode, you know, so that's gone. But somehow, I'm with it. It's one of those weird cases. And I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts, as ever, if you guys were with it or weren't. The idea of this kind of quantum probability manipulation and making things more likely or less likely, more or less literally bad luck and good luck. It's kind of a neat concept. And... It, 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 it's just, I don't have much else to say about that, unfortunately. It's a concept episode in that perspective. The idea of something that is effectively one step away from science and one step closer to fantasy, but is still presented in a fairly understandable and down-to-earth manner. This could have gone very badly. I mean, it would be very easy to assume how, if this kind of manipulation thing is working, like, oh, by the way, we're having, you know, such and such matter of the, of the primary energy generator has just misaligned, even though that's incredibly unlikely, you know, that kind of a thing. It would be very easy for that to happen. But instead... It's all fairly little stuff revolving around people and computer programs. So, again, no threat of the week, which I think would have actually taken away a little bit of the episode. My opinion, as ever, love to hear yours, and I'll be seeing you guys next week.